This is Kosetsu Randy Earl with another question from my friend Chris. Um, as usual, he doesn't dilly-dally with the little stuff. He goes straight for the big questions. This one is, how does heaven apply in Zen? And I can see where this, this question came from uh, because we were just discussing a, a, troll, a, a scroll that I had recently uh, received and uh, my translation of it was a tranquil breath bridging heaven and earth genuine and sincere worth more than gold uh, and a few notes on on translating um, it, it, I'll start from the beginning for those who you know are, are hearing this for the first time it was in an ancient script called seal script not uh, modern Hanzi or kanji and I've had some Chinese friends look at it, and um, had some linguistics experts look at it, and they were able to give me individual character translations and some phrase usage, but the sensibility has to be kind of in context. So I did the final translation, having read thousands and thousands of Zen poems. Um, and with that type of uh, character writing it's more noun heavy than verb heavy the verbs come more from from context and usage and uh, so that's why I applied the final sensitivity so that second line bridging heaven and earth or it could be spanning or joining but that's I imagine Chris that's where you saw the phrase heaven and it triggered this um, this thought so to go so your question was how does heaven apply in Zen well, as usual in Zen, this is a <laughs> could be seen as a, a typical Zen contradiction. On the one hand, uh, to be very uh, direct about it, and the Zen and Buddhist teaching is that there is no uh, soul, no afterlife, no heaven. Um, and you can read, uh, you know, you can read direct statements about that in many of the original sutras. And you know, masters like Dogen will state very clearly, you know, that, that these things do not exist as commonly uh, understood. On the other hand, you can open many, many, many Buddhist books and, and Buddhist sutras and see references to Tushita Heaven or to the Pure Land, which is also another expression of a concept of Heaven. Um, although, interesting to note, in the Pure Land, even that's not the final destination, that's just the last step before achieving Nirvana. But anyway, the point is, you can certainly see those references everywhere. Even my, my teacher, Sensei, has said um, uh, you know, made references to his teacher. You know, he's sure he's in Tushita Heaven. Um, so, the contradiction is that you can see references to seemingly opposite points of view, which is not uncommon in Zen. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, Zen is is not literal, and I would make the case that you know much of any religious tradition is not literal. Uh, the Buddha and Jesus and all the prophets, I think, taught in the in the idiom of their time and place. They used the language and the imagery uh, that the people they were speaking to understood. 
uh, Jesus was talking to uh, the Jews, so he had to use the language of of uh, the the Jewish tradition before him. Buddha was teaching in Axial Age India, and he had to use the terminology and the idioms that, that the people there understood. And both of them used techniques like parables, which you know we understand are not literal. They're metaphors and analogies. Um, and the other thing that we have to remember, so, so we have to be careful about using, looking at individual words and individual phrases and taking them very, very literally. Um, but that's not to deny the use of those phrases and say, oh, well, that was just a, a story. Obviously, they occur so often they were important concepts. So the other thing you have to remember about Zen is that it deliberately uses contradictions to get us past labels, past words, past symbols that are clearly limited, finite representations of the, the infinite um, so that we go to direct experience beyond thinking. So don't be distressed at finding a contradiction there. So uh, with those caveats aside, let's, let's go on. And this basically deals with metaphysics. You know, meta meaning beyond, beyond the res regular physics, beyond what we can see and, and touch and feel and smell and experience in our daily lives. Things like uh, the soul and heaven and hell and God are all in the realm of metaphysics. And, that, and we've talked about that in some other talks. So I'm just going to do a really quick kind of recap in that Buddhism in general and Zen in particular deals with right here, right now, this moment, what can be observed, what can be experienced right here. It, it's fundamentally empirical, not theoretical, uh, to use science terms. It's, it's what you can experience, not what you hypothesize. Um, and when you look at the core teachings of the Buddha, and when I say core teachings, I mean, you know, it's like it's like the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament can be seen, and again, this is a gross oversimplification, but please allow it for the sake of discussion. The Old Testament is kind of background material, you know, preparing, setting the stage for the New Testament, which is the primary story. So that's what I would call, say, the, you know, the, the teachings of Jesus would be the core material in the Christian tradition, and the Old Testament's the background material. The same is true in, in Buddhism. There's there's the core teachings of, of the Buddha, and then there's a whole lot of background material around it. Um, so the core teachings, the, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, include no metaphysics. There are no references to to you know God or gods, heaven, hell, afterlife, you know, karma, reincarnation, rebirth, any of those things. In the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, which is the absolute core of what he was teaching. When you really look at it, the metaphysics comes into play with all the stories around it. And a lot of those are clearly things that were added later, just like, uh, you know, some Christian scholars would say a lot of things were added later um, to, to appeal to the audience or to make their particular point or whatever, and I, and I won't get into that because that's not my area of expertise, but, but I think clearly we can say that you know many people agree that's the case. Um, and it's certainly the case in Buddhism. 
And when asked directly in a lot of those old sutras, the Buddha does not deny the metaphysical things that, that the people were asking about. He just says, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, that's not what I'm addressing here. Um, so I think that's enough about that. Uh, basically the core point there is that the Buddha's teachings really don't address the metaphysical issues. So if we go with a very simplistic view, say a child's uh, Sunday school view of, of heaven where it's a, a definite location somewhere, not here, somewhere else, where God dwells and the soul goes after death, then we would say no, that concept does not apply in Zen. Um, but there is a concept that applies and I will get to that in just a moment. But to help understand that, to help discuss that, let's look a little bit for a moment at how any or, or all religions change over time. And I think that's that's clear. Um, Christianity has split into many, you know, major and minor divisions, and and, and uh, uh, um, oh no, I forget the word, <laughs> denominations, over time. And the same thing has happened with Buddhism. And I think it's very interesting to look at what happens. And again, to, to at the risk of oversimplifying, let me make a few generalizations here. Buddhism and Zen, in particular, is basically a contemplative tradition, you know, very heavily based on meditation and inner experience. Um, yet over time there have evolved schools of Buddhism, uh, for example, called like the Pure Land School, which I mentioned earlier is a, is a concept of heaven, where basically they revere uh, a Buddha as a personal god and believe in a type of heaven called the Pure Land. Much more of a personal relationship based type approach, which I would say Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, is basically a person, uh, personal relationship-based tradition. Yet, throughout the history of Christianity, there have been different approaches, and there have been contemplative branches that have developed, much like the Jesuits, for example, as we've discussed before. So, um, you know, some people would say that you know maybe the Jesuits look more similar to. A, a Jesuit monk might look very more similar to a uh, Zen monk and his approach to life than he would to a typical uh, evangelical churchgoer. And that might be going too far, but my point is, you know, if we what, what's the conclusion that we can draw from this, from the fact that religions change over time? It's that different people need different styles, and we all know that or all of us who have children or have been exposed to children know that different children learn different ways. Some are, you know, can memorize, some have to, to touch and experience, uh, some learn better through, through play, some learn better through art, and so on. And people are like that. So thus over time, different groups develop different approaches to their religion uh, in, in, in a way that they can understand it better, and eventually those groups can look quite different from one another. You know, there are different uh, Christian denominations that say that, well, you know, that well, in the political debate today, you know, there are a lot of evangelicals who say that Mormons aren't really Christians, and I'm not going to get into that debate. That's just to make the point. And um, the same thing is true in the, in the Buddhist world. So, 
if we can accept that you know religions change over time and so that different people can understand it in a way that helps them then that can lead us to say okay well let's look at the commonalities if we can get past the, the higher level differences can we look at the commonalities in the approach to the metaphysics to come back to the original question about heaven so let's look at some of the commonalities in this particular area in the in the Christian views and again um, my memory's not not great but if we look at maybe what you would call the Holy Spirit in man you know look at the things the, the prayers that say thy will be done or let me be thy instrument on earth and just fundamentally what does it mean to be reborn in Christ it means we must let go of the self right to let to let Christ uh, flow through us um, and if we look at heaven and hell in the Christian view one of the things that I, what I thought was a very beautiful description was heaven is to be in the presence of God and hell is separation from God so if we look at the Zen view of these two things going back to the Holy Spirit and man and in the Zen perspective we would say the divine is is right here right now that um, if we remove the self the divine Buddha nature is there just like uh, we had mentioned previously if, if we, on a cloudy day you can't see the Sun but when the clouds are removed the Sun is always there so I would say that's not so far dissimilar from you know thy will be done let me be thy instrument let me be reborn in Christ it's that you know if we remove the self then then Christ or the Buddha nature is there and from the Zen view on heaven um, again there's that no distinction no separateness in terms of a separate location that that heaven can be right here right now if we are ready to perceive it that way and to let it be that way so to speak so that's why the the quote uh, from that scroll I translated as bridging heaven and earth as bringing the two together as as making them one or joining them or spanning them and the way I can say that far more poetically is to read a little bit from a very famous Zen poem don't worry I'm not going to read very much called Zazen Wasan or the song of meditation and I'll just read the first line and then the last few lines the first line is from the very beginning all beings are Buddha like water and ice without water no ice outside us no Buddhas that's the first line and then it continues for a while and then the the last portion here is where it talks about heaven now so listen to this translation how vast is the heaven of boundless Samadhi Samadhi is a concentration and meditation how bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom what is there outside us what is there we lack Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes this earth where we stand is the pure lotus land and this very body the body of Buddha I think the key phrase here is how vast is the heaven of boundless Samadhi what type of heaven the heaven of boundless Samadhi 
the phrase samadhi refers to uh, the the deep meditation, the state of meditation where we have uh, removed the ego and we are open to the entire universe. Uh, that is heaven. That's why it goes on to say, so the pure lotus land is right here where we stand and this very body is the body of Buddha. Um, that exemplifies the core teaching in, in Buddhism of no separation, no second thing. An ancient master was asked to summarize the Buddha's teachings and he said not to, meaning no second thing. Um, therefore the, the heaven is not separate, it is, it is right here if we are only open to realizing it. So uh, I hope that answers your question. I appreciate you giving me the, the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you. Gosh,